Welcome, friend, and thank you for allowing me to join you this day. I'd like to start off with a question, and that question is, how are you doing? Yeah, how are you doing? I'd really like to know. Uh, you can leave me a comment in the comment section, or you can, um, you can email me at walt at svmin.com, and uh, just let me know how it's going for you with, uh, with this challenging time. I'd also like to thank uh, all of you who have continued to support Sky Valley Chapel financially during these challenging times. Um, it's very much appreciated as the ministry is still going on in, in some non-traditional ways. And uh, many of you have given online, some of you have mailed checks to us, some have dropped them by. And I'd also like to let those of you who are in Sky Valley know that since the West Pool Deck is closed so you can't get to our office, you may take it to the front office and put it through the slot there and they'll make sure that it gets to us. But in any way that you choose to give, we thank you for giving and helping support our ministry. Today we're going to continue our journey through the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus and we're going to pick up where we left off last week. If you remember last week, we looked at two travelers who were headed home to Emmaus the afternoon of the resurrection. They, one of them's name was Cleopas, and we saw that these two travelers were downcast, they were despondent, they'd seen Palm Sunday, they were aware of the arrest and the, the kangaroo court trial that, that Jesus went through and, and his crucifixion. And that very morning, they'd heard reports back from the women who had gone to anoint his body that the tomb was empty, that his body was missing. And as they're walking along to Emmaus, they're joined by an unknown man that they were kept from, from recognizing and he asked them an interesting question. He said, what are you guys discussing? And they looked at him, you know, incredulous. They couldn't believe. They said, how can you not know? Aren't you aware of what's going on, what's been going on in Jerusalem? You know, Jesus has been crucified. He's been killed. And, and he was supposed to be the Messiah. And then the man proceeded to teach them from the Moses and the, and the prophets that the Messiah had to suffer and die. Well, they got to Emmaus and they begged the man to stay with them and were told that in the breaking of the bread, when, 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 when Jesus gave the blessing, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he disappeared. So our two travelers traveled back to Jerusalem that night and they told the disciples, hey, we've seen him. When he broke the bread, our eyes were opened and we knew that he had risen. And that's where we pick up this week. Again, it's evening of that first week. The disciples know that the tomb is empty. They're all there in the upper room except for Judas, who had hung himself, and, and Thomas, whose whereabouts are unknown. And I want you to imagine for a moment that you're one of those guys up there. A couple of days ago, your, your best friend was murdered, executed, in fact. You could have helped him escape, uh, but instead you ran. You're angry, you're, you're disappointed, not only in yourself, but also in your friend. He said he was God, or at least that's what you heard him. Heard him claim it. And they killed him. And you're scared. People know who you are. You've been inseparable for the last few years. You've witnessed his so-called crimes and, and you know that they could consider you an accomplice. And so you're thinking to yourself, what's going to become of me? Can you picture this scene? The room is dim. The door is locked. There's a low murmur of voices in, in the background as you sit in the corner and, and review for the hundredth time the, the contradictions, the in, injustices, and, and your own role in the horrible death of your friend, your, your teacher, your leader. I'm fairly certain that we have all had a time in our life where we've let ourselves down 
in times where we've let our friends down. And Lord knows all of us have betrayed God by our sin. We see our own sins and we, we know our hearts and we become very good at beating ourselves up over them. My imagination has quite a lot to work with as I envision that room on that evening of the day that the disciples discovered that not only was their master dead, but his body was missing as well. And so here we have the disciples of Jesus sitting um, in failure, in betrayal, in confusion, in disappointment, in, in shame, in, in grief, in, in guilt, and in fear. They're scared, and as John's Gospel tells us, the doors are locked. You know, fear is something I think that we can all relate to, especially when our world is turned upside down as it has been for us most recently. When things aren't going the way that we thought, we, we tend to be fearful because we, we wonder about the unknown, we wonder about the future, we wonder what's going to happen. The disciples had misunderstood Jesus' teachings. They had misinterpreted his miracles, and they'd even been misdirected by the religious culture as they followed Jesus. No wonder they were afraid. They're human. They don't understand, and they're afraid themselves of being arrested and possibly locked up and, and even crucified. They're afraid of the Jews. They're, they're afraid of the, of the Romans. You know, fear was real for them, and it's real for many of us right now. Most of us come to a time when, when we don't understand what we're seeing, and, and it causes fear in us. We can't make sense of what's, of what's happening, and it, it's often because of the unknown. And, and would you agree there's a lot unknown right now? So here we have the disciples in the upper room, and, and picking up at Luke 24, verse 36, it says this. It says, While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Luke continues and says, While they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in, his presence, in their presence. Note what Jesus does when he appears in the room. I see forgiveness demonstrated by the very first words out of Jesus' mouth when he enters. Peace be with you. Not, where were you guys? Why'd you bail on me? Why'd you let me down? But peace. Forgiveness from the start. He knows they're afraid and he wants them to be at peace. That's his immediate concern is their peace of mind. But his mere presence causes them to be startled and, and frightened. And so he says to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? And he tells them to look at his body, look at his hands, and look at his feet. He encourages them to touch him. And then it's up to them. And Jesus, he gets practical. Do you have anything here to eat? They give him a piece of fish to eat, and he eats it. Do you have a friend like that? You know, someone that walks in your house and just asks you, hey, got anything to eat? I love the Bible. It's, it's so real. And then in verse 44, it says, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. 
once again, he's clarifying for them his mission. He's trying to help them understand his purpose, just as he had all along. Now let's go over to Luke's, or I'm sorry, let's go over at John's Gospel, chapter 20, where it continues. And it says in verse 24, Now Thomas called Didymus, and Didymus just means that he was a twin. Now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I seal the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, John tells us. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and touch my side. Stop doubting and believe. Then Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Like the others, Thomas had been zealous for Jesus, but his worst fears had been realized. The crucifixion had broken his heart. Thomas believed, but his, his belief was betrayed. And I think if we are honest, we can understand why he would be slow to believe again. Thomas goes even further. He's only prepared to lay aside his unfaith if the risen Jesus meets his criteria. Thomas demands that Jesus be touchable. He insists that the risen body of Jesus meet his requirements. And isn't that a lot like a lot of people today? They won't believe because they can't physically see Jesus. Our Western empirical thinking, our, our rational way of looking at things leaves little room for the eyes of faith. The substance of things not seen, as the, the writer of Hebrews puts it so eloquently. And lest we who are Christians get too prideful, we need to realize that all of us have a greater capacity for faith than what we currently exercise. Think about it. What could God do in your life if you only believed that he could? Now note the compassion and the sensitivity with which Jesus reaches out to Thomas. Without condemning or, or scolding him, Jesus invites Thomas to examine the truth. He didn't call him Doubting Thomas. That's a, that's a name that we've invented for this man. I, I think we've done so because in Thomas we see our, our un, own unbelief. And isn't it interesting how we usually condemn those in which we see our own sins and shortcomings demonstrated? Thomas believed and his faith was restored. It is instructive to know that Thomas believed, he lost his faith, and then returns to an even greater faith as he exclaims, My Lord and my God. And I don't want you to overlook the fact that, that Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus made his first appearance to them. And as a result, he refused to believe. His faith waned. And this should serve as a warning to us. It's difficult to believe when we do not strengthen ourselves with fellowship of other believers. Faith is encouraged. Faith is strengthened. Faith is, is multiplied when one is in the company of the body of Christ. 
And this is a difficult thing to do in, in this time of social distancing, social isolation. And hopefully you're doing something to reach out to others during this time, especially those others of faith. But even more so, I hope you're reaching out to those of little or weak or even no faith. This is our time to, to be the church. Now note that Jesus invites faith in himself with gentleness, with kindness, recognizing our need and, and then blessing us with greater faith. He does not condemn, nor does he resort to name calling. He invites us to examine him, to know him. And this reminds me of, of Psalm 34, 8, which says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man or woman who takes refuge in him. And then I want you to note Jesus' words to Thomas in verse 29. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Do you know who Jesus is talking about here? He's talking about you and about me. He looked down through the years, through, through thousands of years, and mentioned us to Thomas and the gang. Blessed are those who believe even though they haven't seen. John ends his chapter by telling us this. He says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. My friend, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is just as much concerned for you today as he did for those folks that were in the upper room 2,000 years ago. In spite of your sin, in spite of your betrayal, and in spite of your fear, he wants to bless you with forgiveness and faith. Do you have fear? Turn it over to Jesus. You don't know what's going to happen when you die? You're unsure about Jesus? Ask him to give you faith. The faith to face your fears. The faith to trust him. To trust him for tomorrow and for 10,000 tomorrows. If you want to be one of those that, that Jesus talks about there to Thomas, just ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. To be the Lord of your life. Admit that you have sinned against God and that you're in need of the salvation that Jesus so freely offers. And invite his spirit to lead, to guide, and to direct you for the rest of your life. If you asked him to be your savior today, or you want to know more about what this means, again, please contact me, walt at svmin.com. Next week, we're going to look at another resurrection appearance of Jesus, this time in Galilee. Until then, thank you for allowing me to join you today and have a blessed week. In the meantime, share the good news. We have nothing to fear because Jesus is alive. God bless you.